Pater Fidei Nostre, Abraham Sumus, Obtulit Holocaustum, Super Altare, Profilio. The father of our faith, Abraham the Great, offered a burnt sacrifice on the altar in place of his son, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Last evening, we entered into this Quinquagesima Sunday at First Vespers by singing this very antiphon. The father of our faith, Abraham the Great, offered a burnt sacrifice on the altar in place of his son. And in this antiphon, by which we entered into Quinquagesima Sunday, we were given, as if from a distance, a glimpse of the Eternal Father. The Father who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And again, we were given, as if from a distance, a glimpse of the true Isaac, the victim Christ, offered on the altar. Now, last evening this antiphon remained mysterious. Mysterious means having something hidden about it, not altogether revealed. We saw the Eternal Father and the Victim Christ as in a mirror darkly. And we had to wait until the Benedictus Antiphon at Lord's this morning for the veil to be pulled back, allowing us to see and to understand the mystery about which we sang last evening. And so what did we sing at the Benedictus this morning? The very words of Jesus, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem. By these words, we begin, in effect, our ascent to Holy Week, our procession to the Paschal Triduum and to the cross. Behold, we go up to Jerusalem and all things that have been written concerning the Son of Man, including the account in Genesis of the sacrifice of Abraham, and the role of Isaac. These things were written concerning Christ, 
And so Jesus says, And all things that have been written concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. And then we have this extraordinary prophecy of our Lord's passion. For he will be delivered to the Gentiles, the Roman soldiers, and will be mocked, indeed he was, and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will put him to death. Here is the death of the true Isaac. Isaac, the son of Abraham, was spared and yet remains an icon, an image, a foreshadowing of the true Isaac, the victim Christ, who was not spared. They will put him to death. And the antiphon closes on these words of our Lord, and on the third day he will rise again. Et tertia die resurget. This is a wonderful thing that on this quinquagesima Sunday we sing these words. Et tertia die resurget. So we are given today in condensed form, if you will, in this antiphon sung at the Benedictus, at Lord's, we are given in a kind of telescoped manner, the whole mystery of the bitter passion and death in sacrifice and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. These things by themselves are wonderful and would be sufficient to enkindle in our hearts the fire of prayer. But the gospel doesn't end today with the prophecy of the passion and resurrection. There's much more to it. So much more, in fact, that in the divine office, the gospel is redistributed throughout the day by means of a series of antiphons. I have believed and taught this for years, that the antiphons of the divine office that enshrine the holy sacrifice of the Mass, that give us the context of the Mass, that these antiphons are, in their own way, sacramental divine utterances. We chant them and we hear them chanted and these divine utterances deliver what they announce. There is in each of them a particular grace. 
Here at Silver Stream, we sing at first and second vespers the four antiphons given for prime, terse, sext, and known. This is immensely beneficial. It allows us to ponder the antiphons in such a way that we are steeped in, saturated by the gospel of the day. Not only at the little hours of prime, terse, sext, and known, but also at the solemn hour of the sacrificium vespertinum. These antiphons are not, of course, mere text, words, read out of a book. They are a marriage of text and melody. The text becomes, thanks to the melody, that emerges from inside the text a living word, a word capable of piercing the heart. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel wrote, Music is the soul of language. A good sentence is more than a series of words grouped together. A sentence without a tone, without a musical quality, is like a body without a soul. The secret of a good sentence, says Rabbi Heschel, lies in the creation of a tonal quality to correspond to the meaning of the words. There has to be a harmony of the right tone and the right words. The antiphons of the divine office are divinely ensouled by the music that brings them to life. They are not mere words grouped together. The text of the antiphon and the music that espouses the text produce together a living word capable of piercing the heart in a given moment of grace. And so we shall look very briefly at the antiphons given us today that constitute the context of this Holy Mass. The first, prime, iter faciente, while Jesus was on the road. Jesu duma popinquaret Jericho, as Jesus drew near to Jericho, Cecus clamabat adeum, a blind man cried out to him. It, it's, it's a great expression, clamabat. It means he made a clamor. He raised a racket. He made himself heard. Clamabat adeum, ut lumen recipere mereretur, cried out to him, made a clamor, raised a racket, that he might receive light. Jesus is on the road, and we understand from the context of the Gospel of the Mass that he is on the road to his passion, death, and resurrection. Now we are going up to Jerusalem, and all that has been written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man is to be accomplished. He will be given up to 
the Gentiles, and mocked and beaten and spat upon, as we sang last evening. They will scourge him, and then they will kill him. But on the third day, he will rise again. The blind man is begging on the outskirts of Jericho, aware, without seeing, of the passing of Jesus. He cries out to him. And here, the text of the liturgical antiphon diverges from the text of the gospel, or rather, completes it. The antiphon says, Ut lumen recipere vereritur, that he may be found worthy of receiving the light. What does St. Thomas Aquinas say in his magnificent prayer before Holy Communion? Almighty and everlasting God, I approach the sacrament of thy only begotten Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. I come sick to the doctor of life, unclean to the fountain of mercy, blind, blind to the radiance of eternal light. Think of that for a moment. The angelic doctor, Thomas, with his stupendous intelligence and understanding of the mysteries of God, considers himself blind. Blind, says he, to the radiance of eternal light. Second antiphon. As the Lord was passing by, a blind man cried out to him, Have mercy on me, O son of David. The Lord is transeunte. He's passing by. This is an occasion of grace that will not be repeated. The blind man's choice is critical. It's now or never. He cries out. You see, there are moments in every man's life that are critical moments. Moments in which the Lord is passing by. Moments in which one's choice is critical. If one delays in responding to the Lord's passage, one forfeits the unique grace of that moment. And that moment will never be repeated. And that grace will not be on offer again. What must one say in such a moment? Exactly what the blind man cried out, Miserere mei, have mercy on me. Simply by saying those words, one reaches out to grasp the grace that is on offer. And the third antiphon. And they who were walking in front, qui preibant, rebuked him, meaning the blind man, to make him keep quiet. What did your man do? Ipso vero, multo magis clamavat. 
But he cried out all the louder, Have mercy on me, thou son of David. Those walking in front, would not these have been the apostles? Jesus is hemmed in by his handlers. They want to protect him from the importunate demands of the rabble. Jesus, however, does not see the rabble faceless, nameless, depersonalized. He sees, rather, each face. He sees each heart. He hears the blind man's cry. And the blind man is not daunted by Jesus's entourage. He will not be silenced by those who want, above all else, to keep things moving along, lest there occur, God forbid, anything spontaneous or unplanned. I've sometimes encountered among pious folk an inability to embrace the unexpected, an unwillingness to take risks, a need to control everything down to the last detail. Let's keep this procession organized and moving as planned. Might such an attitude, I ask the question, might not such an attitude sometimes impede a great inbreaking of grace? Blind man shouts all the louder. He makes himself heard above the objections of the bureaucratic monitors who would prefer that he remain out of sight and out of earshot. The blind man is a great master of perseverance in prayer. He will not be stopped. He will not be shut up. He will not be shut down. And the fourth antiphon. Cepus magis ac magis clamabat, ut dominus illuminaret. The blind man cried out more and more that the Lord might illumine him. One must hear or rather sing the neumes, the musical notes that bring these words to life. Magis ac magis. There are two key phrases in this short antiphon. The first phrase, magis ac magis, more and more. How easy it is to become discouraged in prayer to the point of praying less and less rather than more and more. I often tell my sons, if you find it hard to remain in prayer for five minutes, there's an easy solution, pray for 10. If one half hour seems too long, one needs to pray for the full hour. The world, the flesh, and the devil conspire to make Christians pray less and less. The Holy Ghost moves souls to pray magis ac magis. That is more and more with ever greater intensity. 
The second phrase in the same antiphon is ut dominus illuminaret, that the Lord might illumine him. Every true prayer is at the deepest level a prayer for light, a cry out of the darkness, awaiting upon the Lord to illumine all that in oneself lies under the shadow of sin and death. I'll tell you this, never, never does our Lord refuse a prayer for light. He may for a time leave a soul in apparent darkness, but that is only in order to prepare the eyes of the soul to see the brightness that shines from his face. There are many who say, who will show us good things? The light of thy countenance, O Lord, is signed upon us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.